Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to The Price of Football, the podcast that follows the ever-dwindling money behind our beautiful game. Uh, You'll be glad to know that my birthday hangover has gone and the man you're about to hear, of course, has never had a hangover. Mind you, I've never had special cuddles from a girl in Moscow wearing a Barcelona shirt. So, you know, (laughs) swings and roundabouts, isn't it, Kieran? So this is, uh, of course, Kieran Maguire, Professor of Football Finance at Liverpool University, fresh fresh from Norwegian television. <laughs> That's right. That was a that was a strange one. Uh, my Norwegian hasn't improved as a result of the interview, but uh, I, I nodded convincingly um, when they were talking in the in the local language. Yes, I, I once uh, filmed with some Liverpool fans from Oslo. We flew from Oslo to Liverpool. Uh, I've never seen men more drunk in my life. They were astonishing. And we arranged to meet them before the game the next day at this particular pub. I went there and the bouncer went, if you're looking for the Norwegians, they're bad. I, I said, mate, they only got here at midnight last night. He said, they did enough damage in two hours. And after, after the game, this is still my favourite thing, I, they, they were lovely. And after the game, I, I met up with one of them and I said, where's the other one? He said, oh, he gets so drunk that the only way he can remember the game is by buying a shirt afterwards. And he has the, the result and the name of the scorers printed on the shirt and I was, I was really so I said yeah so like they'd beaten Fulham so yeah so he was in there for ages while he had 4-0 all the scores burned and I said what does his wife think of this he went he's not married <laughs> um it's Thursday Kieran so it's um it's stories day today rather it would, in, interesting that we're getting so many questions that our what's traditionally meant to be our shorter pod on the Monday is getting longer and longer which is great but we do have plenty of stories um for you today and some big names in the game have been voicing opinions about how long this can go on for we start with Rick Parry um, Chief Executive of the EFL of course he said now this is interesting because I would have thought July the 31st would be a deadline for starting it he said this season needs to be concluded by July the 31st that that seems to be quite a short deadline but why that specific date? Well, it's very much driven by contracts. Uh, all, all footballers' contracts, when you sign a, you know, a one or a two-year, whatever yeah. it's going to be, um, they have a traditional finish date of the 30th of June. But it's also, uh, a sort of, there's a commitment by by clubs is that they will pay you effectively an extra month's wages to allow you to find another club. So I think what the EF do, uh, EFL have done here, and, and this does make some form of sense, is they say, well, therefore, given that the the player is being paid by the club up to the 31st of July um, right. it makes sense to uh, enable us to play play matches in that additional period of time 
Um, it, it is very much going to go to the wire. There's a hell of a lot of matches to, to play. And, and there doesn't appear to be um, a, a, a consensus within uh, the EFL owners themselves, especially when we look at Leagues 1 and 2, because the owners have said, and we, yeah, we've had this discussion, um, I'm getting no money coming in from hosting matches. I've had to take the players out of furlough, so I've got not just the, the, the wage costs, but I've got all the the other admin costs to go along with it. Um, I, I can't do it. Well, that's a, a discussion that's being had lower down the, the pyramid as well, as we'll find out later on when we talk about Dulwich Hamlet. But uh, Rick Parry talked about the, the EFL being in a, a £2 million hole by September, if if this continues. Now, given what you've said to us about the, the finances of the EFL in previous pods, that, that doesn't seem too high a figure. I mean, it, it seems that the EFL was in the financial hole anyway. So £200 million, when I first saw that, I thought, oh, God, that's, that seems manageable, but clearly not. Well, it, it, it's two hundred million more, I suspect, is what he's oh, meaning. Oh, um, right, okay, okay. okay. If, if if you take a look at the championship, the championship's got a gross monthly wage bill of sixty-eight million. Now, even if we take advantage of the government's pay delay scheme, you know, I think that you're probably looking at a net forty to forty-five million pounds is going out of that division. You get to you get to the end of September, so yeah, we're, we're talking. You know, around two hundred million pounds, um, and that's being. I think that's actually being quite generous because right. uh, we've got clubs that have got commitments to pay transfer fee instalments, and yeah, they've got to pay the rent, they've got to pay the other costs. So two hundred million pounds is uh, you know on on the basis I suspect that they're going to have something to to sell to the broadcasters, and actually they've got some form of money coming in. Uh, but it's a huge amount of money. Uh, we've we've seen various schemes put forward by people in the game. Uh, I think Darren Mc, Darren McAntony, the the Peterborough yep. chairman, has effectively said, uh, "Let's let let's try and get an advance on the next five years of TV money." Um, but it, that again is sort of to a certain extent kicking money, kicking things down the road. Eventually, if you borrow money or if you take advances, you can't carry on doing that, as as many people have found with uh, credit cards. Well, well and, and funny enough, a lot of people in my industry, the entertainment industry, who have been hit hard are being offered loans left, right, and centre. But and again, in the short term, it seems like a good idea, but we'll still be paying those loans off in five years' time, and we're all freelance, so you never know. I'm glad you mentioned broadcasters there, Kieran, because several people have asked me for clarification on the broadcasting thing. Now, clubs will have been paid this season's broadcasting rights at the start of the season, but what they're missing out on in terms of broadcasting is the, the extra game bonus, I presume. And could you just clarify what the situation is for broadcasting companies at the moment and what clubs are missing out and by how much? Right. I mean, the, the way that it works is that, that Sky and BT put down a huge deposit before the start of the season. So effectively, sort of, you know, in, in early June, they write a very large cheque to the Premier League. And that's and the reason. That, sorry to interrupt. That's to that's to finance the transfer window. Is that right? That's to finance the transfer yeah. window, um, and and that's that's good because you've got these clubs that have just been promoted from the championship. They want to be able to recruit decent players, um, and so that's in the Premier League's interest. It's also in the broadcasters' interest because it gives them something to to fill the airwaves with. You, know, if you give the clubs money, they go out and spend it. We've, we've got a story. So so every everybody wins from that, and then over the course of the season, they sort of make two or three. Uh, top-up payments and the, the Premier League 
gives a lot of money out in June. And then again, it's sort of two or three payments during the year with a big final payment, which is based on your league position, the number of matches you played and so on. Um, so it looks as if the, the Premier League is is advancing money to the Football League, to the EFL, from the money it's received from the broadcasters, and is also advancing money to the clubs themselves. And that's fine as BT Sport and uh, and Sky Sports are concerned, but uh, the, the Premier League is a fantastic uh, export for this country. And as we know, lots of broadcasters around the rest of the world have been keen to snap up the rights, but they're more keen to pay on a monthly basis. Uh-huh. So they've not received matches in March, so they haven't paid the March instalments, right. the April instalments, and they ain't going to pay the May instalments either until they have um, something to show to their subscribers. So, so that's where that's where the problem lies. Um, so, I don't think the the Premier League will have to hand money back to the overseas broadcasters simply because they're not being paid in the first place. Right. There is conceptually a potential to repay BT Sport and Sky if the Premier League doesn't finish, and and that principle will also apply to the EFL with its uh, with its deal with Sky. Now, it's not in Sky's interest to demand the money back because clubs will go out of business. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so I think Sky are trying to do the right thing here for both the football clubs, the, the football authorities, and themselves. So again, you know, it's it's a, it's a win-win, but that can't continue indefinitely. Well, sticking with the EFL because we we haven't finished with Rick Perry yet, which um, I don't know why it seems to me a sentence has probably been used before. I don't know. I don't know why. It strikes me that people have said that about Rick Parry before. He said, now I'm interested in this. I'd, I'd, I'd like you to elaborate, if you could, what he means by this. And I'm quoting here. He said, the EFL will need a post-COVID reset uh, when all this is over. What, what exactly does he mean by that, do you think? Well, uh, I think, you know, as, as over the course of the show, we, we have suggested that the present rules are not fit for purpose uh, in terms of wage control, in terms of uh, financial fair play, which is now called profitability and sustainability, uh, which we, which is crazy because it doesn't encourage profitability and it doesn't encourage sustainability because it allows clubs to, in fact, effectively encourages clubs to sell their stadiums to to, to try to go and, you know, tw- as we always say, twist on 19, sell your stadium, get a load of money and, and try to get promotion on the back of that. So, if this means that the club owners are going to take their responsibilities seriously in the post-COVID environment, I, I very much welcome it. Um, I think I think Rick will be in a stronger position to persuade more people because so many clubs will have come so close to going under that they might listen to common sense. In the past, um, I, I think his predecessors have been casual in their in their response in in their responsibilities towards the long-term interests of the game they've let um individual owners effectively walk through the rules and the rules were, were so weak anyway um so there is an opportunity um he, he also described um the uh the parachute payments, and you know, we've had this discussion on many occasions, mm. as an evil that needs to be eradicated, which is the type Ooh. of thing you, you'd expect in a in a Doctor Who uh, episode. Um, so, you know, m- my view of parachute payments is they're good for the Premier League; they're not good for clubs in the Championship. So, uh, the problem we've got here is how does the EFL persuade the Premier League clubs to? get rid of parachute payments because if 
if you let, let's take your position, let, let's say that Palace went down. Clearly, they're not going to do so. But if Palace went down, you've got Wilfred Zaha, probably the best player outside of the top six yeah. in in the Premier League. In, you know, and that's, that's coming from a Brighton fan. So I'm, I'm mm. saying it. You know, uh, of you. I'm yeah, saying it objectively. Yeah. Um, but he's he's paid the same salary as a Premier League player, so he's mm. probably on you know six to seven million pounds a year. You can't expect him to accept the the six thousand pounds a week, you know, the th- effectively to go yeah, from six yeah. million pounds a year to to three hundred and fifty grand a year. Um, if Palace dropped into the Championship, that's the purpose of of, of parachute payments. Now, if if you say, well, hold on, he'll he'd go to a Premier League club. Steve Parrish wouldn't be very happy about that because. Mm. Immediately, Palace are relegated. The Premier League clubs are going to say, "Well, we know he's going to be really unhappy. We're going to start putting in derisory offers." So, mm. it's, so it's not in the interests of the Premier League to get rid of parachute payments, unless you are Liverpool, Manchester United, Chelsea, and those clubs which are never going to get relegated. Well, first of all, as a Brighton fan, I I don't care whether you think Wilson is good or not. Basically, so of no interest to me. All you need to know is that he's just too good for you. Essentially, the parachute payment thing, though, that, that that confuses me as an evil. And I also like the fact that you say you've suggested that the EFL rules are not fit for purpose. You've 100 percent proved that the EFL rules are not fit for purpose. You went way beyond suggestion, my friend. Um, the parachute payment thing, I don't understand why that's so bad, because in, in terms of competition, history has shown us that it's very, very difficult for relegated clubs to bounce straight back. So it's not it, it doesn't seem to me that it is giving relegated clubs an edge, a, 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 an unfair advantage. It just seems to me it's helping them not go out of business. I don't don't quite see why Rick Parry thinks they're so evil. Well, if, if you take a look at the positions of the clubs that have been relegated, think about clubs that have gone down in the past few years. Middlesbrough, Sunderland, who are now in League One, have been there for two years, and, and they're still receiving parachute payments, by the way. Um, oh, right, OK. So, right. so if they can't get out of League One with parachute payments from the Premier League, yeah, yeah, it, yeah. it does appear to indicate that there's, there's, they're not... They're not perfect, but um, Hull City, Swansea, Stoke, all clubs who have received large parachute payments. Um, the argument against parachute payments, and this is this certainly does have some validity, is that if you are Leeds, Forest, Derby, clubs of that stature, and you want to have a punt for promotion, you're going to have to go and increase your wages to make sure that they're not too far behind those of the clubs right, yeah. that are coming down. So, so that's that's the problem. Um, working out a solution for it is is going to take. Um, mm. it, it's not going to be a quick, quick and easy fix because uh, we've had this discussion before. You, you've got a you've, you've got a, a previous history of working in in HR. Um, you mm. you can't rewrite contracts unilaterally. Yeah, let's let's not go too deeply into my previous history in HR because you know, we've got an accountant. This 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 pod's dull enough already with an accountant and a comedian. We're talking about an accountant and a human resources, but that, it was a long time ago, people. It was so long ago; it was still personnel when I was doing it. It wasn't even it wasn't even human resources. I, and I still don't know how many ends and how many L's are involved. Um, one more thing from Rick Parry. Um, I don't know whether this is advice or a threat or a warning, but basically we, we know that clubs like West Ham, for example, are very keen for the season either to stop now or to continue without relegation. Um, and as we've discussed, I wonder why that would be. But Rick Perry has said, and I'm quoting, it will be very messy legally 
if there is no relegation from the Premier League. Yeah, um, and I've been sort of following this over the course of the weekend. I think there's only one or two clubs that were were pushing for the the no relegation. Um, There's no desire, I think, to have the season ended with the possible exception of West Ham because of the fear of having to pay money back to overseas broadcasters at least. If, If there's no relegation... There's no interest for broadcasters themselves. There's nothing. There's nothing really to show because right, Liverpool yeah. have already won the Premier League. Um, I, I think the fear of that there's no relegation does that also mean no promotion, and that's when things would get messy. Mm. At present, there is a legal document between the Premier League and the EFL which says that at the end of each season, three clubs will be relegated and three clubs will be promoted. Um, so therefore. If the Premier League tries to get out of that, they're effectively in breach of contract. And also, from if you think about it from the EFL's point of view, um, you know, potentially having Villa and Norwich and Bournemouth or West Ham or Brighton or whoever it's whoever it's going to be um, in in the Championship increases the quality of the game that they have to offer. So you can see it from their point of view. Um, it, it, yeah, is it going to get messy? Yeah, are, are our silver-tongued friends? Yeah. going to be once again and, and let's face it the, the uk car industry is in a bit of a tickle um yeah, yeah so yeah, this yeah. this could be a boost for range rover sales yeah. i i i think to be fair to the, the accountants and the lawyers uh and the agents that you refer to as our silver tongue friends i think they say the same thing about you kieran as well to be perfectly honest our silver tongued rain man now still in the championship uh, you've talked long and hard on this pod about the overspend in the in the championship, about how the finances just don't add up in the championship. And there's been a report this weekend which would indicate perhaps why. Now, I, I looked at some of these figures, and I'm so used to seeing loads of noughts after Premier League season, you kind of don't know whether these are good or not. But with reports that there are physios on £190,000 plus, kit men on 50,000. Now, I, I don't know what a kit man gets in the Premier League, for example, so I don't know what these figures are, but it, it would seem to me that if there are physios and kit men on that sort of money, then it's no surprise that the Championship is in a bit of a quandary financially. Yes, and and again, this is this has been leaked document, and I, and I think uh, the EFL will be highly hacked off at the leak, but yeah, that, that's the nature of the world we're in. Um, th- Did you hang on before we carry on? Let's just make this clear. As I'm worried now, you didn't leak it, did you? Not me, no. I'm, I'm a oh, fine, right, upstanding okay. citizen, as we all know, well, in, in yeah. this country. <laughs> yeah. yeah, the people who only listen to the broadcast bits of the pod know that. <laughs> yeah, those of us who know some of the... Yeah, and I'm, yes. Yeah, carry on. Um, <laughs> so uh, the, the EFL sent round a questionnaire, um, by all accounts, to, uh, to the clubs, where they said, can you, can you put down details of your, your highest paid player, the, high, the, the manager... Um, and various other, just to get a, a benchmark for um, what individual positions are earning. Now, this report was then published, or ex- uh, extracts of it were were published in the mail, and um, it appeared to indicate, as you said, there's a physio on 190 grand, there's a kit man on 50 grand, and, and again, I'm I'm not saying that's wrong. Um, mm. But if if you are having the this level of expenditure, um, it's no surprise that overall the championship is spending £107 on wages for £100 that comes in. That there's a manager on, I think it was around about £3.3 million. Um, you know, my, my, my suspicion that would be Bielsa at Leeds because... You know, he, he is an amazing manager, a very intense guy, um, and Leeds fans will say he's worth every penny. Uh, the top paid player, 68k a week, that's Mitrovic in Fulham, um, would be 
an inspired guess, shall I say? Well, no, I can say, I mean, it's, it's not our position to judge uh, who should be paid what, to be perfectly honest, yeah. as you've made plain when we, you know, our obsession with Premier League wages, for example. But a physio is doing a very important job at a football club. A physio is helping manage, in, it's, I hate to say it in a cynical way, is helping to manage the assets and make them better. I know for a fact that, I don't know how much Danny the kit man at Palace earns, but I know for a fact that he's a vital part of the well-being of the, the, the players will love him. He's a, a fantastic contact between the, the foundation and, and the club. So I wouldn't resent any money that, that he gets. So I think maybe players and people in football wouldn't be surprised at these wages. It's more people outside the game that would be raising eyebrows at these, at these numbers. Yes, and I, and I think it, it, it all comes back to this um, constant narrative that people in football don't deserve to be paid what they, they're paid. Um, you know, I've, I've, I've known the world of finance for a few years. Uh, you know, seeing some of the bonuses paid to to bankers and hedge fund managers and so on. Uh, you know, fo- footballers entertain people. Uh, remember, remember who it was that caused the global economic crash in two thousand and seven. It wasn't footballers. It was you know this uh, this rather un- unholy alliance between uh, ratings agencies banks lending money to people that couldn't repay and so on. And no, nobody suffered as a result of that long term because, yeah, the bankers are back on the big bonuses and so on. Hi, I'm Steve Lamack, and every week I'm joined by Music Allies Head of Insight, Stuart Dredge, on The Price of Music, the weekly podcast all about the money behind the music industry. In each episode, we discuss the very latest goings-on in the music business and dig into the finances behind the big stories. So whether you're a music lover who just wants to know more about what really goes on in the industry, or you're an aspiring musician, manager or label owner who wants some inside knowledge on how Spotify's financial model really works, or what the future holds for independent live music venues, this is a show for you. Subscribe to The Price of Music in your podcast app now. See you soon. Now, still in the Premier League, Steve Parrish, who is chairman of the oldest club in the Football League, Crystal Palace, um, he's had some criticism this week, unfairly, I think, and I would say that, because he wrote in his his column in the Sunday Times that he predicted similar problems for Premier League football clubs and the rest of football to airlines if we don't start playing by August. And I think this deserves a little bit of context. Steve deserves a little bit of context. He's not... He's not, as he's been accused of, one of these old-fashioned, greedy, 70s-style club owners who just wants to ride roughshod over the safety of his players to make profit. The day after lockdown was announced, Steve Parrish identified every single season ticket holder over the age of 70 on the Palace database, contacted them to see if they needed financial help, if they needed counselling, did they have neighbours, etc., the, the catering staff at Palace are turning out hundreds of meals a day, which are being delivered to homeless people, local charities, etc. So this is a man who's aware of his commitment to the community, but he's also a businessman and he's also very keen to see the club through this crisis so that there is a club left after it. And I think it reflects the fact that what he's saying is, you know, we saw Richard Branson within days laying staff off without pay. You know, he's put his, his, it's like a James Bond plot. He's put his island up for, for security for a possible loan. So I don't think Steve was saying anything that we don't know. And also what all Steve's doing is elaborating what you've been saying is that apart from maybe the top six or seven in the Premier League, every club outside that is in, for every day that this carries on, is in, is in trouble. 
Yep, and also if you take a look at uh, is it Phil Garlick, the guy in charge of Burnley, he he yeah. said similar. Yeah, we 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 look at we're, you're effectively got you know twenty sand timers in the Premier League, yep. and, and you've got the money going out on on a monthly basis. Uh, you know, Palace's wage bill is around about ten million pounds a month. Now, a month. how can anybody? Yeah, that would be about ten million pounds a month growths. Wow, I'm quite pleased about that. We're a big club. <laughs> um. And that's that's fine if you've got ten million pounds a month coming in. Yeah, of course, of course. And yeah, this this applies to as you say all the clubs outside the big six, and even the big six aren't immune. Um, and as a result of that, all that Steve's done, and and as have other chief executives of clubs, have said this cannot continue indefinitely. We we've got we've got some money. We've got squirrels aside, which to, to allow us to survive. Um, we, we can't rely on the transfer market this summer because no. prices are going to collapse. Yeah. Yeah. And, and those clubs whose uh, you know, models that are based on selling players, and we were discussing Brentford last week, mm. you know, they're, they're going to take a real hit um, because of the, the collapse of the transfer market. So what he simply said is, is just put it out there. If you've not got money in and you've got large commitments going out, which you cannot reverse your way out of, you if you, if you write off the contract, the player walks away for nothing. Mm. And uh, club doctors have, have made a, a statement saying this will be difficult to guarantee player safety and, and health. But Steve Parrish, along with everybody else in football, will put the player's health and safety first and foremost. If it can't be done safely, it won't be done. But yeah, he's right. We want, and, and I think Steve's comments about it having... It, football being magnificently meaningless and having even a tiny, tiny effect on the mental well-being of all of us if we've got something trivial to talk about. I think that's an important point as well. But I don't think anybody's suggesting that the you know players' health and safety will, will be road roughshod or indeed you know, everybody else who works for the game. So I was a little disappointed with some of the criticism he got because I, well, I mean, I would say that anyway. But um, somebody I think you possibly, I, I don't know where I stand legally here, if I say probably or possibly, Deserves a bit of criticism. I think I'm legally all right for saying probably somebody deserves a bit of criticism. Occasionally, probably I deserve a bit of criticism. I don't know. I don't know why. I'm I'm, I'm very good looking, very funny. But um, uh, Gordon Taylor, the PFA chief executive um, uh, and friend to this show, in that we get quite a few, quite a few minutes out of him on most pods. Um, One of his suggestions is that we the season continue but by playing shorter games, but. He might be saying that to distract us from the fact that the PFA charity has failed to file annual accounts. Is that significant? Well, yeah, I don't think it reflects particularly well on the PFA charity. Historically, it's 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 got a year end of the, uh, I think, the 30th of June, and it, it normally sends its in accounts um, around about November. Now, the deadline is the 31st of March. And, and as we, we've mentioned this on one or two occasions before, the Chancellor said that uh, I'm going to give you an extra three months. Now, mm. some clubs have taken advantage of that. Most clubs have said, no, we'll send them out. Yeah, we've we got nothing to hide. Mm. The, the issues in respect of, of Gordon Taylor is that um, if you take a look at the Scottish PFA, their chief executive last year earned £83,459. If you then go to the PFA, Gordon Taylor, two million two hundred ninety-two thousand nine hundred and four. Wow! So his his pay is two thousand six hundred and forty-seven percent. As you can imagine, I had calculator <laughs> envy here when I was crunching these out, and even I couldn't do those these ones in my head. So yeah, they're big number, big sums here. Um, so 
he has come in for criticism for his salary before. Again, we're, we're not going to say whether that's right or wrong. Um, but wrong. For, for, I'm, going, I'm going wrong this time. Right. <laughs> how how does that reflect? Well, but by not showing the accounts, it means that we can't see Gordon Taylor's, how much did yeah. he earn um, in 2018-19? In um, we've had Dave Kitson effectively throwing his hat into the ring to be um, an alternative. Uh, and Dave's an articulate bloke. He's, he's come in for criticism himself on one or two issues. But, you know, he, he's, he's certainly, when, when I've seen him talking on the television, um, he has put forward a form of manifesto. And, and the other issue is that we won't find out how much the the PFA has got in its bank account and how much has it got as investments. Um, Mark Palios, the Tranmere owner, he was writing in The Guardian yesterday and he was saying the PFA needs to step up. They need to help clubs in terms of dealing with mm. wages. Um, you know, how, how much has the PFA itself got to do to, to contribute towards um, this ongoing crisis? Now, in the most recent accounts, which was the 2018 I think the PFA had around about you know forty to forty five million pounds worth of of investments, so you know these would be you know, shares and paintings of Lowry and uh, you know bonds and things of that nature. So could they make a contribution towards helping clubs um, in the short term? So that's the argument that was put forward. By not publishing the accounts, there could be a perfectly legitimate reason for it. It could be that the auditors have been unable to do the work. But that's inconsistent with historically publishing the results in November. So, you know, he's he's going to take criticism for this because he's a man in the spotlight, Gordon Taylor. And um, by taking this action, I don't think he's necessarily helped himself. Now, can you just... uh clarify this for me because i i had to do it because when I, I i read the words um the pfa charity has failed my initial thought was this is a charity run by the pfa but the pfa charity is the pfa isn't it essentially in, PFA in is effect, a charitable... yes. yes yes that's correct right, okay so we are talking about the pfa here so yep. perhaps me saying pfa charity might have thrown some people off the scent but they're back on the scent now now um further down the pyramid you've been looking at um a, a couple of clubs one a long long way from here and one not too far um Hartlepool, most of us follow Hartlepool by default because Jeff Stelling is such a big, passionate Hartlepool fan. I still yet to get over his rant about the second game Dave Jones set. Um, and what's strange about Jeff is when you see him in private, he's quite a small man. Really? You know, yeah, yeah, pugnacious. But, I mean, lovely, charming. But, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't beat him at pool in a pub. That would be my advice. If you walked into <laughs> Jeff's pub in Hartlepool, I'd let him win. Let's put it that way. Um, but Hartlepool, you've been looking at their situation. They're in a bit of trouble, aren't they? I mean, every, of course, every club in, in their situation is, but Hartlepool are. Yeah, I mean, I, I've got an affection for Hartlepool for a variety of reasons, not least the first date I ever went on with the Baroness was, I'd, I said to her, <laughs> do you like football? She said, yes. I said, oh, well, we're, we're playing on Saturday. I took her to Hartlepool. What, what, what I didn't realise was that her ex-husband was quite senior at Manchester United and she'd previously been to Champions League finals in, in the Players' Lounge. So she was used to that type of environment. Um, and I took her to Hartlepool. Uh, we lost 2-1, so therefore I didn't speak on the whole journey back. You know what it's like when you've lost. Uh, and and think, somehow yeah. we managed the second date. So, I, um, do, you, do you know what, Kieran? I, I wish, just as a competition, I'd put out there, which town do you think that, that Kieran Maguire, the, the, he of Thailand fame, he of Moscow fame, he of Trinidad fame, which town do you think he took 
his wife to on their first. I'm guessing many people wouldn't have gone for Harley Paul. I, I, I think you'd have probably but, kept kept your winnings on that one. <laughs> also, I, I think I've, I've only really known you since October, but I've got to know you well enough, and of course, I, I, I to like you well enough to know that it wouldn't have occurred to you to think it was an odd place to take the Baroness. You say this will cheer us. Hilarious. Oh dear, that's very good. Anyway, anyway so, so, well, I've, I've, my my soft spot for Hartlepool, of course, is that. Um, they were Brian Clough's first club, and I I loved the fact that they were used to really tickle me as a kid, which is a bit you know, was a strange child. I used to love the fact they were Hartlepool's United because it was two Hartlepool teams who joined together, and they were very proud of the S. Oh. So I was quite sad when they dropped the Hartlepool's United to, to just become Hartlepool. Um, but anyway, this is all by way of a light-hearted meander into a serious subject. Sorry about that, Hartlepool. Um. Well, Hartlepool, they, they nearly went under, as, you, as you're probably aware, yeah. um, in, in recent years. So you would have thought that they'd be trying to run a fairly tight ship. But I, th- I think the, these results, um, their losses have halved, but they still lost 860 grand um, in, in 2019 in wow. the National League. And, and I think it goes to show that um, just because you're out of the hurly-burly of the EFL, it's still really tough running a football club, regardless mm. of the level. Um, I, I was on a, I was on another show this morning with the with the owner of Kings Lynn. No, uh, uh, yeah, you, you <laughs> on another show with the owner of Kings Lynn. You say, yeah, oh, yeah, but yeah. We just just days after talking to the shadow cabinet. Said, oh my goodness, right, okay. Um, Hartlepool. Hartlepool, yeah. <laughs> um, so, so Hartlepool lost £860,000. Now, you, you cannot carry on doing that un- unless you've got an owner who who can constantly bail you out. And, and this, is the, this is the real risk that we're in in football. So many clubs are losing money. As we saw what's happened with, with the likes of Berry and, and Bolton and Macclesfield now and Oldham, um, if the owners decide to turn the taps off for whatever reason, either won't pay or can't pay, the club simply can't carry on by themselves. And until this issue is addressed, and I don't know, how, I, and I, I don't think there's an easy solution for it, um, the, the risks attached to football um, are going to continue. I'm willing to bet that can't pay, won't pay is probably your favourite Dario Fo play, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> I would guess. I, I imagine you're a big fan of the Italian anarchist <laughs> theatre genre. What did the owner of King... I interrupted you before we found out what the owner of King's Ling had to say on your latest television escapade. Oh, no, this, this, was, this was his own podcast. He, he set up a podcast. I, I what? Yeah, a podcast called I Bought a Football Club. Oh, okay. So, so fair, fair play to him. Um, he's he's saying he's, he's finding it a lot tougher than he the initially envisaged. He's managed to triple gates, but you know, if if you triple gates and get promoted, you've got higher costs of players. Yeah. Um, and um, you know, it's whatever level of football, it's it's a labour of love and just empty your pockets if you're an owner. Do you know what? I I I don't mind you doing TV and radio stuff, but I'm, I'm strangely disappointed that you've done another pod. I don't. I don't know why. I just feel a bit. I just feel a bit. Uh, I don't know what to think about that. But um, a, a club at a slightly lower level. To, now, we every every person listening to this, wherever they are in in England or across the world. I know we have people listening to us all over the place in Scotland, Northern Ireland, wherever you are. There will be a, a little group of non-league clubs that you grew up quite liking and occasionally going to when your club was away. So we're around here: Palace, Man, Sutton United, Carl Shorten. Took the Mitch from Corinthian Casuals, and one of those was Dulwich Hamlet, which is 20 minutes from from where I live by car, but towards the east, so I don't particularly like to go in that direction. Big SW 
uh, postcode person. Um, but Dulwich Hamlet, who have recently marketed themselves as a kind of um, trendy posers club, essentially, um, there's sort of going down the forest green route, if you like, an ethical, sustainable. You get a lot of fans there with with beards. You know, it's, it's very much cocktails out of a jam jar sort of club. And because of that, I think I I probably thought that their fan base and and the club was probably had a bit of money in their pocket. But they they very nearly went out of business last week. But there's a very specific reason why they didn't go out of business, isn't there? That their chairman has been talking about. That's right. I mean, and I I read this in the in the Southwark Gazette because I mean I. I am an elephant and castle guy. Yeah, that's where I was born. So this this was a clo- again a club close to where I grew up as a kid. Um, they they said the only reason why they are presently in existence is the fact that football was closed down in in the non league pyramid. Um, and and I think it you know there has been some debate and clearly there have been clubs that have lost out as a result of not being being promoted and things of this nature. But it it does bring into to context the broader issue of self-interest versus existence. Yeah, before before we go on to that, because you had some very strong things to say about those things, could you could you explain maybe for some of our newer listeners, and let's face it for me, because I don't always pay attention, why has ending the season saved their life? Well, if if the matches had to be played for the remainder of the season then players would have to be paid. They couldn't be in furlough. Um, you would have ground maintenance costs. You would have the costs of of uh, running the office, of preparing for matches, and you'd have no revenue. Right. So you, you've got money going out and you've got nothing coming in. Right. Uh, and he said they went from hoping to be £100,000 in the black to £200,000 in the red if they'd had to fulfil the fixtures. And he said, I, I, I can't physically do it. Yeah. I, I, I'm not rich enough, man, to to subsidise the club to that extent. You know, he, so I think it does bring into focus that what we will probably see um, moving up the leagues, we've seen it in, in the, 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 the National Leagues and below, um, that leagues one and two could easily go down this route as well because of the costs of running the matches yeah. for those local owners. And, and th- this is the bun fight that's presently taking place between those clubs which are, have got a chance of promotion um, and those clubs which don't. I, I'm guessing then that for a club there in National League South, £100,000 in the black would be healthy, would it, for a club that size? Oh, yeah, that would be a superb achievement. No, would, no doubt about it. Uh, yeah. Good. Would, again, this. I'm interested in, in, in his words because they were strong words because, again, the, the, the club's voted on this. Um, his name's Ben Clasper, which is a great name, I think, for somebody who runs a football club. Um, he talked about the, the one or two clubs, as you say, who are very angry about missing out on promotion. But he he said there were frank words were exchanged between some club owners because he said some club owners, their idea of helping the National League is by escaping to the Football League, basically. So he said they had no interest at all in any kind of unity in that level of football. And also said, and I thought this was a really interesting quote, is he said, the first thing you've got to do, and this is all in quotes, first you've got to take, you've got, first you've got to save the club. Then you can argue for as long as you like about who goes up and who goes down. So essentially this step has saved, not just Dulwich Hamlet, then a lot of clubs will have been saved by this step. And then, as you say, we can then argue about what should have happened or what might happen. Yeah, yeah, and you know, let, let's do that at another point. Yeah, thirty thousand people have died. Yeah, you know, and, yeah. and 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 that's important. Yeah. Getting promoted or not getting promoted, it, it it's absolutely nothing. It, it's a it's a completely meaningless issue in in the wider context mm. of your life. 
and I, I suppose you know a club like Dulwich Hamlet will probably never be in the league. I mean, if if you look where their ground is, it's surrounded by housing estates, whatever. Despite no matter how trendy it is, but it's not important. We know that. But for for the two thousand people who go to Dulwich Hamlet regularly. It, losing it would be a, would be a loss, and of course we put it into the, co- the context of actual lives lost. But it is important to say football clubs, what, what league they play in is what's not important. Essentially, I think we both agree on that, and I think most people listening to this pod would would think the same way. None of us think that football should get e- extra help when other businesses are going out. But I think saving football clubs in a wider social context is very important. And then as Ben says, you, you can then argue about, yeah, you can get promoted next year, you can get promoted the year after that, but you can't if there's no football club in existence, essentially. And also his point is as well that, you, you know, getting relegated, get, getting promoted to the National League or to League Two isn't necessarily going to help you at this current stage of events anyway. So that's, I think, his disappointment at the lack of unity w- was clear. Although for the most part, the, the vote was fairly unanimous, wasn't it, that they should stop football? That's right. There was, there was over ninety percent in favour. Um, yeah. th- those those clubs that have missed out, yes. Yeah, so what? Um, I mean, there is a case for saying that that Barrow ought to be brought into the interleague two next season simply because it will bring it up to ninety two clubs. Yeah, that's interesting. You, do you think that will happen? I, I, I think there's a logic in it. Hmm. Um, it, it it would save uh, it, it would save some legal costs. You know, going back to what Rick Parry was saying that things could get very messy legally. Well, I, I think this is one way of uh, reducing one further piece of litigation. Do you know what I'd like to see? I'd like to see Barrow back in the league. I'd like to see Workington back in the league and Southport because as a kid, my knowledge of English geography was based entirely on my shoot league tables. Right? If, if there wasn't a little cardboard slip in, that I could put in my shoot, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have heard of Barrow. I wouldn't know where Workington was, but instead you become fascinated by these far-off places. So there's a lot of there's a lot of names out there that you'd like to see back in the in the league, and because you know clubs like Barrow are clubs that nearly went out of existence, have, have been eking out for years. So it would be the romantic in me, and let's face it, this pod is about romance at heart. The romantic in me would like to see Barrow back in the league, actually. Yes, and and by all accounts, that yeah, they've been a very good team in the in the national league this season. So I I, I, yeah. I can't see who would object to it. Yeah. Well, in fact, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you, the even more romantic part, we would like to see Berry back in the league, let's put it that way. But if that can't happen, then Barrow, this same number of syllables, it's vaguely, in this, well, it's a lot further north, isn't it? But, but no, that would be nice to see. And I think that's quite a nice positive note to end this pod on. Um, the price of football, that's us. I was reaching for the name now. I actually had to look down <laughs> to see what this pod was called. See, I haven't got, you've got an excuse because you're, Selling yourself to any any pod, the highest bidder. Essentially, I'm only doing. Well, actually, I'm doing a Palace pod later. That doesn't. Um, the price of football is a Dap Dip production. Um, next week, and uh, we'll be back on Monday with our questions pod, which is proving um, a very interesting pod at the moment. The questions pod. So, if you do have questions for us, and I know you do, because we've got a backlog. That's questions at priceoffootball.com. In the meantime, we hope you have a lovely weekend, uh, and I hope Kieran, you and the Baroness can reminisce about the, the heady Hartlepool days. Thank you very much. Stay safe, boys and girls. The price of football. Bye, son, for the